This is The Guardian. I should say before we start, today's episode contains some swearing. I'm Grace Dent and this is Comfort Eating from The Guardian. A podcast where we pay homage to the lesser celebrated foods in life. Because even as a restaurant critic, I believe the food that matters most is often that snack you cobble together when you're curled upon the sofa. Each week, I ask my guest to lift the lid on what comfort foods have seen them through their lives. Because you can tell a lot about a person from what they eat behind closed doors. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow Furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Hello friends, it is that time of the week again, just trying to herd the cats upstairs, whilst at the same time rummaging around my kitchen for a bite to eat before today's guest arrives. Shall I leave Missy on the couch? Is she going to cry right through this interview? Can she be trusted? No, she can't. More importantly, just having a snack that I think confirms my standing as a culinary genius. Digestive biscuits smothered in Nutella with some fresh raspberries on top. I am so looking forward to meeting today's guest. It is the actor and the real-life Derry girl, Saoirse Monica Jackson. Since 2018, Saoirse has been a regular on our telly screens in Channel 4's beloved comedy, Derry Girls. Playing Erin Quinn, Saoirse has been part of the gang that we all want to be in, not least because of the endless dib-dabs, swizzle lollies and tempe mixes that flow through their pockets. For those who've not seen it, it's not just all about 90s nostalgia though. Although, my God, the music, the outfits, it is all great. The show's creator, Lisa McGee, has also been praised for teaching everyone outside of Ireland a thing or two about the Good Friday Agreement. The show has undoubtedly changed Saoirse's life and career, but I want to know more about how she got here. From Derry to the West End and now to Hollywood, I can't wait to also hear what food has sustained her on this journey. And I know one thing, Kat... You're not staying for it. Go on, avail yourself of the garden. Off you go. Just keep walking. C. 
Anastasia Monica Jackson. Welcome to Comfort Eating. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Grace. Right, a little birdie tells me that we have something in common, right? You have been learning to drive recently. Yes. Did you do an intensive? No, I'm not doing an intensive. Well, I was originally calling it a crash course and then I was obviously (laughs) corrected. (laughs) Uh But um, I'm not doing an intensive course, but I'm just doing it (laughs) intensively. So I'm just going out every day and trying to do it at the moment. But I'm really enjoying it. And shock her, I'm impressed at myself again. I think I'm really good at it. What, uh, what's the bit that fills you with dread? Checking the mirrors. I just don't really bother checking the mirrors. I'm not really <laughs> into the mirrors. I'm back onto the steering wheel and I'm back onto the gas. And I really love the gears, but the mirrors aren't really for me. Um, are you learning to drive as well? I, right, I've learned to drive many times. Still haven't got my, <laughs> still haven't got my test. And with me, for example, when I'm going to a roundabout, I can't, I don't know where I'm meant to be oh. on the roundabout. So what I do is I just go into all of the lanes like you know <laughs> just kind of like going backwards and forwards and swerve about i am dying to know what comfort snack we are going to be eating together today what you're hiding something i have no idea what this is <laughs> please bring me your snack bring me your snack bring me bring me your snack it's very fancy with the wee lids doesn't it <gasps> wow hang on sorry <laughs> right i've unveiled the snack this looks like a proper, a proper dinner. Give us a fork. Right, so what we have is spaghetti. This is what I call my <sighs> comfort Tabasco pasta. So it's just spaghetti. It's quite creamy. Mm. So mm. it's red, oh. red pesto, natural yogurt. Yeah. Basically a full block of feta, tomatoes, oh. frozen peas, and loads and loads and loads of Tabasco. So that is feta and Tabasco that's making the sauce and then a bit of yogurt in it. Oh, oh. Mm, delicious. My favourite. Mm. <laughs> I'm so glad you like it. Mm. Sorry for talking with my mouth bolt. <laughs> that's like a proper, properly delicious, non-disgusting snack. You've, you've broken comfort eating. <laughs> right, give me an example when you might, might eat this. So, yeah, when I am... Um... When I'm really hungover, and this is like a good go-to dish because I think the t- Tabasco sort of blows the hangover out of you. Yes. Or if I'm sad, or if I'm traveling, or if it's cold outside with a nice bottle of red wine. It's just a go-to all-round gal's best friend, I think. Oh, I'm just eating all the time you're talking. <laughs> I love. I it. know so, I have sort of cheated, which is so naughty. It, it's a meal for all seasons. It really is. I think when I first started making it, and I was like 18 or 19, I was at this point like really obsessed with dried herbs. Do you know when you're like first learning how to cook and you put on like half a fucking top of oregano? Mmm, <laughs> mm, it's lovely. Just like they eat <laughs> on the continent. I like to coat the whole thing with oregano. So I was doing that first stage. So I've just got better at it along the way. And obviously now, like if I see like a yummy mummy, like granola mom pesto, yeah. I'll buy that for myself. Instead of the Tesco zone. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) You are a real life dairy girl. Mm -hmm. Grew up with your parents, Sean and Ruth. Yeah. Two younger brothers. Your mum was a chef, but what was your dad's approach to food? 
It was absolutely awful. But he was very, some of the things that he did, he, he had mastered really well. Like no one's potato salad is like my dad's potato salad because he just puts all the worst things yeah. in it. Yeah. And he makes lasagna, but he, he, no, he says he intentionally doesn't cook it properly. So the middle sheet of pasta is completely <laughs> virtually uncooked. Mm, crunchy. Mm, crunchy, but it's like chewy. It's at that level. And that's actually my favorite way to have lasagna now is my dad's uncooked lasagna. So when he was in charge of you when you were a kid, what kind of stuff did you get? A lot of cereal? smash. Sma- oh, mm. smash. Smash. Really bad, though. I hated smash. But he used to make corned beef hash, which I love. I know that's a real British thing, isn't it? Corned beef hash. I used to go nuts to that. But when my mum would go away, we'd just be very badly organised. And we were all like a year apart from each other. So he would tell, he was born in South Africa, my dad, and he would. When he ran out of milk, he would use dilute. We call it dilute. He's called squash or cordial with their cereal. And he would tell them that that's how he, he fought tigers and rhinos was eating cereals with dilute. So my two brothers would love this. And I would obviously be like, he's lying. He just forgot. <laughs> I love this man. And they ate it up. They loved it. <laughs> Sugar sandwiches, all the things. And like, obviously, my mum would not have wanted us to have. Was it exciting when he was in charge? No, I hated it. I hated it. <laughs> it's so noisy if he listens to us. No, it was, it was nice to have that time with him and he would obviously do fun stuff for us, but I was so organised and just such a wee stew when I was younger and a wee square that like I couldn't stand when my dad was in charge because I hated the dinners and the house was a mess and we were late for school and I just, the stress, I couldn't handle the stress of it. It's a chaos. <laughs> yeah, chaos. You, you don't like yeah. the chaos. No. <laughs> so... Your mother, on the other hand, is yeah. this really good cook. Is that what she's known for amongst the family? And- she really is. She used to be a professional chef. And yeah, the whole family would love my mum's cooking. Aww. We all share Christmas Day now, but for years my mum did it for my whole family, all my aunties and uncles and my cousins. And she's just brilliant. Yeah. She's really great at putting on a, a big spread and entertaining people. She always used to do a Halloween dinner party. Which I used to love. Everybody in Derry goes for the full shebang for Halloween. We love it. Yeah. We just make any small little event and do a massive day. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she would do a Halloween dinner party and I used to love that. Um, and she'd dress up as the mum from the Adams family and I used to think it was so cool. <laughs> did you, if she was having one of her dinner parties, did you help? I would help get the house ready and I used to love that sort of atmosphere with all the candles on and music playing and I used to love the sound of people downstairs when I was upstairs in my bedroom as a kid. I used to love it. Um, and yeah, and I used to love that that prep sort of for the two days before and that morning off with her doing everything. But I'm a really bad picker. Like I love to pick and my mum hates that. It drives her bananas. I think from being a chef, she can't stand people picking and eating in the kitchen. How are you and your brothers at sharing all this lovely food? I'm fine, but my youngest brother is like the greatest person you'll ever meet. And yeah. he has remained to stay very greedy. Um, there's this infamous story that my friend still remembers when she came around to play with me when he was about four. He was like, you sure thought you always have your friends on to eat all their biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> and like, it was always party rings were a main fight. Uh, party rings were like a physical fight would erupt over party rings. So they then got banned. It's mad how <laughs> when you look back, when you think how you used to physically fight your own brothers. There was fights in your house over party rings. Mm-hmm. Which colour? Purple. Oh. The lilac one every time. Set it on your tongue and let it dissolve. 
talking about talking, you can just swallow the basket hole. <laughs> so your brother, you and your brothers are committing physical violence over party rooms. Mm. What's your mother doing? How does she manage it all? I think we, because we were all a year apart in age and we fought that much, she just completely ignored ignored it. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember banging my brother's head off a radiator once and I think it was a fight over the Argos catalogue. <laughs> <laughs> and again, I do think that your mother just zones out. Yeah. My mum was very health-free and very health-conscious. And yeah, she was great at hiding things. She would remove the bottom drawer of a set of drawers and put baskets underneath. Do you know what I mean? Like, and the and the sort of lining of of the set of drawers, mental. So, if I'd met you when you were six, who would I have met? Were you a performer by that point? Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think I came out all singing and dancing. <laughs> My mum had sort of probably instilled a lot of that in me. She told me, if you're an actress, that you get to keep the clothes, which obviously now I know is a lie. And then when I used to watch (laughs) EastEnders with her and they would eat crisps and stuff at work, I'd be like, jeez, that's a great job. (laughs) And I loved, obviously, to perform. I wanted to be an actor and a pop star and have my own ice cream van. Um, so one out of of three is not too bad, isn't it? Oh, you know, I'm going to ask questions about the other thing. I've got to go to the ice cream van because the idea of driving around all day, (laughs) serving 99, Mr. Whippies. Yep. And just talking to people. I loved the idea of that when I was little. It's like delivering joy, isn't it? Exactly. And you have a theme tune. You have your own personal theme tune. And I just love the idea of me also driving the ice cream van day to day. Pick up my friends, go shopping in the ice cream van. <laughs> what would your theme tune be? Dido White Flag. It, it's that Dido White Flag. <laughs> People would just hear it kind of coming sadly down the street. Yeah. And they'd go, yeah, I want an ice pop. There would be either salivating or really fucking creeps out. Oh, cry. Which I sort of like. I like that sort of like borderline. Let's make, let's make people feel everything. <laughs> and here I am. When you were 10, your mum and your dad ran a small hotel mm-hmm. in Donegal. What was that like? sort of mad because when I look back and it's like this brief experience but it was so nice it was so joyous it was such a lovely time I think in all of our childhoods it was it's on this beautiful set and it's actually changed now but the building was obviously very very old and it was right beside this old castle ruins so that I, I loved that first and foremost because mm-hmm. I was obviously convinced myself that it was haunted and used yeah. to make up lies and tell people all these ghost stories that just I had made up to the yeah. customers as well that were staying there <laughs> Uh-huh. Um, but it was lovely and she would get they, my mum and dad would get big show bands for the summer and yeah. they would play outside on the water and they were just like the campest funnest bands in the world when I my child's memory seen them as like 15 people now yeah. if, maybe if I could go to it there was actually only like 6 of them but in my head there was like 10 of them do you know <laughs> um, and they were a family called the John Quigley Show Band and they just had the, the most amazing costumes. And Carol, who's the sister, she had kids the same age as me that I would play with when they were performing. 
she would come out of the honeymoon suite um, and come down onto the stage, like climb down on the stage and do these bits are made for walking. Oh my God. And of course, as a young child that wanted to perform, she was just like the absolute fucking bee's knees to me. Yes. <laughs> the bee's knees. And I remember going on holidays and like playing with these girls in the pool and they were like, what's your favourite band? And all the rest of the years were like Red Hot Chili Peppers or Blank 182. And I was like, the John Quigley Show Band. <laughs> <laughs> Other than amazing show bands coming along, what is the best perk of having parents that run a hotel? The pastry chef. <gasps> <laughs> that, was, that was great. And she would feed me like sneaky little puffetta rolls or... My friends were down, we would like come in through the back door into the kitchen and she would give us like strawberries with melted chocolate or as much ice cream out as I wanted or a big sni- slice of banoffee pie. Oh, mm. that's a dream, banoffee pie. I love banoffee. It has to be the right toffee yeah. and banana ratio though. When you weren't at the hotel, where could you go to get a bit of peace from your two, frankly, awful sounding <laughs> brothers? <laughs> I had a really, I still do have a very close relationship with my grandparents, my granny Monica, who I'm obviously named after, and my granddad Jim. And they were just very good to me. They were really good to me. I went to secondary school around the corner, so I would stay with them a few nights a week. And to be honest, they just absolutely spoiled me rotten. (laughs) My granny Monica, just as a person, has so much patience. I've never met another human being that has patience for other people the way she she does and especially for children and I think that she would have honestly sat and listened to me perform the phone book like <laughs> perform the ingredients of a pop noodle like she was just so encouraging and yeah she was she was so encouraging and instilled me with a lot of confidence and we would have watched a lot of old movies together and um she would have came to all my speech and drama shows and I, yeah. we did Blood Brothers for Willie Russell and her and my granddad came to see it every single night. Just so, so sweet. Yeah, the best grandparents ever. <laughs> Back then, if you went to your grands and you walk in the kitchen and you open the cupboard, what's the treat that you go for? What does she get in for you that she knows you like? Mm, probably either be a dark chocolate walnut whop or... <sighs> Dark Kit Kats. But you always find in my granny and granddad's house like random scraps of food places. <laughs> and it's obviously from the generation that they're on. You know, you'll open their oven and there'll be like half a fried egg and a uh, slice of bacon <laughs> with two bites out of it and a wrinkly, wrinkly, tiny, scrawny spud that's been on that oven for two days. <laughs> and you daren't throw it out in front of my granddad. I just yeah. love it. I really love it there. And for me, I think it... It was sort of a time in my life when I was really cementing what I wanted to do and I was sort of able to delve under the interests there. My grandmother got the internet before my parents did. So that also came with like Sky TV, which obviously blew my fucking mind. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, the fact that you could go over there and just be by yourself and not was you must have had quite a lot of freedom, I suppose. A lot of freedom. Do you just yeah, I was looking up drama schools and reading a lot and just the peace and quiet my granny and granddad's it was just lovely it was really really lovely and they would go to bed quite early and it was like yeah like sort of like being a wee adult on my own downstairs yeah. turn the wee lamp on and watch my wee film <laughs> so <laughs> I just love it 
and have sticky buns there is always I don't know why there's this real culture in dairy of sticky buns we talk about it a lot obviously in dairy gears um with the cream horns and stuff and my grandparents were yeah big advocate for the sticky buns so so there's not one specific dairy sticky bun sticky bun is a name for a lot of different types mm. of buns that are sticky that are sticky <laughs> Mm-hmm. what's your favorite one my favorite's probably an ice and finger or a coconut ice and finger or i like a turnover too to be fair or a snowball or i like them all <laughs> <laughs> where like can them you all. get them no that's the other mad thing about dairy that i couldn't believe when i moved to england everywhere sells sticky buns and dairy like you could go to your local corner shop and in the morning up until about two o'clock in the day they'll have these huge wooden slabs that are just like over the rest of the counters that they sit on top of everything else and that will just be full of sticky buns. All the shops get the delivery for sticky buns in the morning and you'll just see teenagers walking to school with their blazer pockets stuffed with buns. Mm. When you were in secondary school, was acting and performing still the thing that you're the most interested in? Mm. I really loved the escapism of performing and being somebody else. And I think as a really, really young child, I remember having all these, like, making up these wee stories and stuff in my head. And I had the most amazing drama teacher in my school. She just completely, like... Um, blew my mind and sort of lifted the lid of that world off for me and Miss McTague sort of helped me navigate how I was going to do that as a job. And you'd started doing bits of acting, walking on stage at school by that point. Yeah. How did that feel? Amazing. Mm. Yeah, amazing. Getting to perform Rob Brothers for Willie Russell and I was playing Mickey and I obviously just wore my brother's Liverpool top and tied my hair back but it was quite insecure so I still wore lipstick. So I- <laughs> Yeah. I was a drag, Mickey from Blood Brothers, basically. But um, yeah. just had the most amazing feeling. It's like a high. It's like an adrenaline rush. I used to get it a lot more when I was younger and I was performing this sort of like utter, I mean, this might sound really wacky, but this sort of like utter body experience when you were so on it and you had that sort of connection between two actors where it was like this rush. It's like this huge high. I used to get it a lot more when I was younger. I don't get it that often. Now I only get it rarely. Sometimes I often worry, was I a better actor then? And I'm shit now, is that why I don't get it as much? But I think it's the rush. It's the sort of, it's that buzz of it. And that sort of confirmed that for me then. Did <laughs> you have like a little gang at school? Yeah, we... What was it like? It was lovely. And um, they're still all my best friends now. We all did art together, which best perk of doing A-level art is that you get to hang out in the art rooms half and scones from the canteen and loads of sweets and crisps and crap and volivons. We had a wild lot of volivons when we were teenagers. Hang on. Volivons. Mm. That is, that's, I mean, it's not a typical teenage dish, really. It's what, not. I mean, where were you getting them from? Also, when the corner town to do sticky bonds, they also do volivons. Hang on, stop. <laughs> this can't be right. <laughs> I would have heard this before. <laughs> yeah. What's in the volivon? A chicken volivon. <gasps> A chicken volivon or a chicken and ham volivon. No, you would hard push to be a vegetarian and dairy. So, right, if I was to go back to this art room, tell me 
the look. So most schools in Derry for the girls, I don't know why, but when you're in sex form, then you get a pinafore, not a skirt. Which obviously I got mine taken up, so it was right up my arse, even though it wasn't. <laughs> I don't know how I was doing that for. Like I, the shorter the skirt, the better. Always. Oh god, I did, <laughs> I did exactly the yeah. same. I used to walk about with my bum cheeks just showing. Yeah, and absolute fanny grazer. I was just yeah. honestly. And, um, and then I would have been clattered and oil bars. Like my, from probably the first week in September, my uniform would have been permanently stained with oil bars and oil paint. And it just was always bogging. I was just always dirty. Like we like bond dust as well on me and stuff. Painting my hair, always greasy hair. Yeah, I was was actually quite a stinking teenager. (laughs) I love the way that like ma culture is depicted in Dairy Girls. It's one of the loveliest things about the show. The fact that the mothers are all kind of talking to each other. Mm -hmm. Did it reflect? the experience you had growing up as a teen as well it was like all of our parents my little group of friends all of our parents were sort of in cahoots with each other and they just caught us doing everything like (laughs) my mom got a breathalyzer when I was a teenager (laughs) I know how lousy is that like isn't it well she actually bought a breathalyzer I think for herself she wanted to make sure when she was driving the next day and then I would say she was like, ding, ding, I've got you. <laughs> um, <laughs> but she used to um, collect, she collected me and my friends from an underage disco once and she made us all line up outside the disco and blow under the breath. Like, how embarrassing is that? Like, that woman is a badass. A badass. And then my other friend's mum did catch his underage drinking though. We came in and she was like, seriously, let me smell your breath. And I thought I was an absolute criminal mastermind so I decided to breathe through my nose and I was just like it's like I was like no Sharon no Sharon she was like let me smell your breath now and so I was just like <laughs> she's like she's like I'm stupid and I shit myself and I done it again and then she was like see so spilled the whole beans I saw we were drinking we were up in the clean field Macker's bought us it we smoked two bags each <laughs> We stayed up all night crying. Me and my friends upstairs about. She was like, "That's it. I'm telling all your mothers tomorrow." We stayed up all night crying. I didn't sleep a wank. All me and my friends couldn't sleep. We were panicked that much. And then she obviously rang the parents first, and they were like winding us up to make us more scared. And she marched us into each one of our houses. And when she came down to my house with my mum, my mum was like, "I'm so disappointed in all of these scares. These are liars." And all the rest of it. And then we promised my mum that we would take the Pioneer's pen. What? The Pioneer's pen is like this Catholic like thing that you promise to abstain of like alcohol and sex and drugs for like, I think the rest of your life. Like, <laughs> and we were like, we'll take the pen, mum, we'll take the pen. <laughs> the Pioneer's pen. I think That's... that's Catholics. I don't know if Protestants have puns too. It feels like a big commitment. That's a bad commitment, like... It's a big commitment, but I was willing to go there. Obviously, it didn't last too long. Like, I was straight back at it the moment I got an opportunity. Did she know when you were trying to sneak out to see boys? Yeah. Mm. It was actually my granny that gave me the birds and the bees talk, though, and I'll never forget that. She gave me money leaving the house. Oh, my God, I would still be embarrassed to tell the story. <laughs> she gave me money when I was leaving her house one day, to, when I was on my way to see my first boyfriend, and she put the 
money in my hand and she was like, there was once a wee girl who lost your bus money and she never got it back again. And I was like, but I've got a purse, Granny, don't worry about it. And she's like, I'm not talking about your bus money. And I nearly died. <laughs> Scary. <laughs> Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier and I'm Kate Spencer, and we are the hosts of Forever 35, and today we're talking about Club Med, the best all-inclusive getaway for families. Today, Club Med has nearly 70 resorts worldwide, from beachside resorts in the Caribbean and Mexico, to magical locations in the Maldives and Morocco, to ski resorts in the mountains from Canada to the Alps. Between their all-inclusive family programming, wellness offerings, land and water sports, and their French heritage-inspired food and drink offerings, Club Med is the best way to elevate your family getaway, no matter which location you're at. To learn more, visit clubmed.us. He didn't have a plan B when it came to being an actress. You went to Manchester to study drama. How was it being there as compared to what you dreamed of? I mean, you kept saying for years you'd been looking up drama skills on the internet. And, and then you, what was it actually like? To sort of have your entire day and week focused around it was unbelievable to me. And it was a very intense experience. It was 40 or is a week. Originally, I was meant to go to London, but um, just before it, my mum's best friend, who was sort of like an auntie to me, or even like a big sister, she just passed away quite suddenly before I went. So I got this real panic. I don't know that, why that I didn't want to go to London. It was going to be too big, and then I wasn't going to go in at all. I was going to take a year out. Um, and my mum like basically like pushed me out she didn't want me to stay because I was upset or to be worried and I was very determined on staying for a year and then she then told me that I'll charge you 60 pound a, a week if you stay so I was like oh fuck this <laughs> <laughs> anything to get me to go though and she she done the right thing you know she really really done the right thing I needed to do that yeah it must have been horrible though because this horrible things happened and then you arrive here how did you cope and it was really um, soon afterwards. I don't think I'd grieved it or I processed it. I think I was really still in this state of shell shock. So the first year, although I was excited and I didn't know anybody, you know, everybody was a stranger to me mm. and there was nobody from my school or anybody from Derry even that I knew in Manchester. Mm. So I think I was in usual form, always bully big bollocks ringing home and saying, you know, I'm having a great time. It's amazing. I'm never going back to Derry. It's so classy. You have to see the size of their Primark. It's huge. And all this. <laughs> but actually, I was, and looking back on it, I was really depressed, yeah. actually. I yeah. really didn't go on much to university in my first year. I spent a lot of time in bed eating and then I would sleep all day long and then go out a couple of nights a week and I would just eat and sleep and that was basically all I did. And looking back on it, I was really depressed and very, very anxious. Did anything help you out at that sad time? 
I think when we started, I think it was just time. I just needed time. I needed time and I needed to settle in and I needed to probably tell people what I was going through. I needed to get close enough to tell the friends around me what I was going through and mm. that changed everything for me. Female friendship, really. I had an amazing friend called Nefty who I loved with in the first year and she's a wonderful person and she was a real adult when I met her. She was a brilliant cook and she just had her shit together and she was doing like biomed and she was just like fully functioning woman and I just had no way I could manage life and she was really, really helpful and she was so, I was, I just moved over from Derry as well and she was from London, like she was cool. She knew stuff that I don't know about. She would have cooked a lot of um, African dishes, so like mm. jollof rice and Maggie chicken and mm. goat curry. And yeah. But she also would have made, carbonara was a favourite of mine, so she would have made that for me. Like just really, really good to me. She was so good to me. And she would check to see if I'd went to university when she got back. Knock on the door. And she was just so kind. She's oh a wonderful God. person. We all need a nephew. What was the first thing you noticed about the food in England? <laughs> Do you know, it actually blew my mind because we had no takeaways walking distance to us. And obviously our takeaways are like fish and chips, Chinese, one and doing, you know, like a dairy is a lot different now. It's kind of Thai and stuff now and it's amazing. But where I was growing up, it was very much that. And I could not believe in England that you could get six chicken wings, chips, and a can of Coke for like one sixty nine. I was like, why the hell would anybody bother cooking dinner when they could get this lovely chicken and you can spice it up? All you need to do is get a different dip every night and it's basically like a different dinner. So I used to do get Dixie's chicken wings every single day and I the first time I came back from university I was massive I was actually so, so massive and you don't get away with anything in our family and my dad clicked me from Belfast airport and he was really looking at me going up the road like a good couple of times and when we pulled up to the front of the house my mum like opened the door with the dog in her hand and she was like my wine's home mum my wine's home I really must say my dad was all I opened the fucking patio doors with her in the house <laughs> Tell me about your first acting job out of drama school. My first job was this for this Sky TV show called The Five. And they obviously wanted English people. So I went down and just spoke to the casting director and the director in an English accent because I was like, oh my God, if they know I'm Irish, doesn't matter how good I am with the accent, they'll just never hire me. Got the part and then they... Yeah, but... They think you're English. They think I'm English. So, so you I, I mean, is there not a problem now that you're going to have to carry on doing the English accent? All when the, I get but, to set? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But were you confident that you could go in and do it? Oh, I know. I. You knew you yeah. could do the accents. Yeah. What about everything else? Because you'd never been on a set before. Never been on a set before. I was confident. I think I was always more nervous of people than I was of ever doing the job. I was nervous about meeting people and like, what if, it, what if they don't like me? And all the things that you have when you're sort of that age and you're a lot younger, it was just... Yeah, I'm more nervous about that than actually doing the job, but I couldn't wait to get to set and sort of have that first experience. But yeah, obviously they wrote this part for me and I don't know, when I got there then, the director, I started speaking to him and he was like, oh my God, you're Irish. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> and we filmed one of the scenes and then he got in contact to say that the writer really loved my accent, my own accent, and they wanted me to do it my own accent. And that was just such 
a privilege to have that because I never thought I would work on a dairy accent. And then obviously dairy gears came along. So yeah, it was an amazing experience. How did you hear about the potential of a part in Dairy Girls? I was in Manchester at times. I was living in London. I moved to London with my best friend and we had no money and we shared a bed and a studio flat in Stackwell because at that point we just, when we were moving to London, we hadn't really ever been here before. So we just needed to be, I thought in my mind, walking distance to Covent Garden. I thought, well, I feel like you need to be walking to since the Covent Garden. So it was a, like an hour and 20 minute walk to Covent Garden. So I said, Jesus, that'll do the job. <laughs> right. I'd rather share a bed for a year as long as I'm walking distance yeah. to Covent yeah. Garden, which yeah, was that's... what I was our thinking, which is yeah. fucking mad. And um, <laughs> we shared the bed for the year in the studio and had the most amazing time and went to like a lot of drum and bass raves and got today text to go to the theatre and we're working in bars and I was auditioning loads and just having I did mice and me in the play and went on tour having a lovely time but I ran out of money so I went back to Manchester for a year and I had like really bad jobs that I absolutely hated hang on you're in Stockwell mm-hmm. which is nowhere near Covent Garden in case you listen to no. this don't don't stay in Stockwell if you're hoping to catch them buskers <laughs> at Covent Garden. Yeah. So you're in Stockwell. What are you eating at this point? Oh, my God. So me and Holly were trying to cook at that point. And cost cutters, I'm sure you're not allowed to do this now, but cost cutters around the corner used to sell two bottles of wine for a fiver. <laughs> so <laughs> that was our main focus, obviously, Grace, was the wine. Because we can afford you drink and bars, so... We yeah. would just get like really pissed on like 2.50 bottles of wine. Yeah. And we would make a lot of chili con carnies. Yeah. All the Jamie Oliver's 15 minute recipes, we were well under them. Like we were trying to be fancy on a very tight budget. <laughs> on a very <laughs> tight budget. So we would have carbonara, which we would make from scratch. Because obviously I love carbonara. Yeah. Chili con carne. We would then save the chili con carne and put it in a sweet potato because we were trying to diet. We're actresses. <laughs> <laughs> we loads of cheese on top because at least I don't have a real spot. <laughs> I heard that actually getting the part on Dairy Girls is quite a long audition process. Mm-hmm. They keep having you back and back. Yeah, we auditioned. I think the whole process, sort of time frame, was six months altogether. It was so nerve wracking. I really, really, really wanted the part, and I was just trying to do anything I could for it. I, um, was going to Marks and Spencers every day and, and I would buy a school uniform, a different version of a school uniform. Then I'd go to the audition in the full school uniform and then I'd go back to Marks and Spencers, get changed <laughs> in their toilets and then return the uniform. <laughs> Do this every time I had an audition. And I must have looked mental when I was on that trip because you can look 16 on TV, but like I was like standing smoking and all and like going to all bar one afterwards with my friends and all, having <laughs> quite pints in the school uniform. <laughs> Turn on it. <laughs> the brass neck <laughs> of taking answer. that back to Marks uh, and Spencer's. Uh, thank you. Um, I've just sweated my absolute tits off on this. Thank uh, you very much. <laughs> See you next week. See you next week. But that's when you're from Derry, you do. People on Derry have such brass necks. You can see them shining from space. <laughs> Over three seasons, Derry Girls was a smash hit 
not just in ratings, but it felt like fans really took you and your co-stars into their hearts. What impact did it have on you to experience that together? Yes, I mean, it's very, like, I think we all know each other extremely well. We know each other very, in a very deep sense. The only comparison I, I think you could sort of draw to it is like a band. Yeah. You know, we were all so delighted to have got that job and I have such huge respect for all of them. They're the most amazing actors I've ever worked with individually. They're just all so talented and we all of our lives sort of changed overnight for the exact same reason and that's a bond that no mm. none of our other family or friends will ever understand that we'll always have with each other. So this third series of Derry Girls is the last. Mm-hmm. Did you do anything to celebrate the end? Yeah, we had an, a big screening in Derry, which was just so gorgeous because now I would always, I would love to work again on my own on my own accent and I would love to bring screenings back to my hometown for the rest of my career. But I don't think I'll ever have an experience like that. My entire family was there. My grandparents got to come and... <gasps> My granddad got papped with me and it was just so lovely. It was just a day that I'll um a day that I'll hold close to my heart, I think, forever. Yeah. So proud of the show and just extremely proud of Lisa. Oh, it was a very emotional on the last day of filming. I feel like I've grown up on this show. I started this five years ago in my early twenties and a lot's changed for me now and I feel like a very different person. I feel like I was a girl when I started and I'm a woman now. <laughs> Well, I just feel very different within myself and it sort of coincides and runs parallel to playing that character of Aaron. You know, Aaron's changed to have a character for her to grow up so much throughout the storyline. It's quite amazing and I think, yeah, we'll all keep in touch. Is there a Derry Girls WhatsApp group with just the five of you in? There is. What's it called? So we have one for just the five of us yeah. that's called the OGDGs. <laughs> OGDGs. <laughs> oh, that's what I wanted to know. Um, is Grandpa Joe on WhatsApp? Grandpa Joe is not on WhatsApp. I just communicate with him privately, which is normally, <laughs> normally through voice notes. Where I send him a voice note and he responds with a very well punctuated message that's sort of formulated like a letter how someone would speak in a letter <laughs> and he just gets this like mad frantic voice note back for me <laughs> how do you move on to a new job after this um i don't think i ever will <laughs> i don't think i ever will i think that aaron will always stay with me in that experience that years will stay with me i didn't just learn a lot about acting or the craft and I also learned a lot about where I'm from mm. I learned a lot about what I'm, where I'm from and haven't had spent that much time with Lisa and have that sort of shift in my career with Lisa and also being another woman from Derry I've sort of learned a lot about how to conduct myself in this industry and it was a madly prolific personal job I think for all of us as well and I think that just came with the nature of it being a huge success when I don't think anybody would have expected that and I remember Lisa saying it's like the wee train that could. And yes. it really did. And I'm just so proud to be part of it. How often have you eaten this comfort food since uh, you wrapped? 
I think I actually had this the next day after the screening, <sighs> after the screening when yeah. I was hungover and I had it a lot during the series because it was freezing. So I had it a lot then. Saoirse, Monica, Jackson, thank you for comfort eating with me. Oh, thank you. Oh it's been God. such a pleasure. Thank you for having me in your lovely home. I'm buzzing. This episode of Comfort Eating was produced by Emma Roberts. The series producer is Leah Green and the executive producer is Cathy Drysdale. Music and sound design is by Axel Cacoutier and this episode was mixed by Solomon King. If you like comfort eating, please leave us a review. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And use the hashtag ComfortEatingPod to get in touch about the podcast or share your own comfort foods. This is The Guardian. Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates at beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.